And we are super psyched to welcome our newest sponsor, Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle, that's West Seattle, or Portland stores. You'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I know because I'm in there a lot. Grab a cup of coffee, swing on in, don't spill your coffee, and check it all out. And now if you use code TOURSTORIES10, you can get 10% off at thunderroadguitars.com. Yes, that's me playing guitar. Hello, big news from our friends over at DistroKid. They now have an app. This app works on iOS and Android, of course. And it's available in the Apple Store and Google Play Stores and all the stores where you buy apps. Go check it out. It's got a lot of cool features. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties. Awesome. You can withdraw from the app via push notifications. A little dangerous for me, but rad. Anyways, go check it out. It's all at distrokid.com app. And don't forget, you can still get 30% off your DistroKid account by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash tour stories. Have a great one. And we continue to celebrate our friends and partners over at Isotope. And we got some big news for you. The gold standard of audio repair, RX-11, is coming in May. In the meantime, you can buy RX-10 now on sale and get RX-11 absolutely free when it's released. Tour Story listeners get 10% off by using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. All at isotope.com. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Sean, hello. We're doing this. Hey, Joe. We're doing this. We're doing it. Ben, uh, we're, we're like good friends now because of yeah. technical difficulties. I spent more time with you than uh, most people at this point. Ever? Yesterday, or? today, oh. this morning. Yeah. yeah, it seems like. I appreciate you persevering through storms and trains and noise and bars and cafes and what, whatever the f- <laughs> fuck happened to me. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to write a song about this and send it over. Yeah, please. Before we're done with the hand okay. I can't see. It, I usually do something else with the hand you can't <laughs> see on this. Okay. Well, oh, never mind. We can we can elaborate later. <clears throat> uh, where are you? I am in Connecticut, Middlebury, Connecticut, which is just a couple miles from where I grew up. Uh, my family, uh, my grandfather's six, so we're up here, but my family for five generations has been here in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, which is unfortunately very famous now. Yeah, that's a heavy place. Um, it's also about 30 yards long, the little village. You know, My first drum lesson was across from the Sandy Hook Diner when I was like, I guess I would have been like 10. Wow. So you grew up there, and um, did you just come out of the womb playing drums, or did you take lessons? How? What'd you do? Kind of. What'd you do? It's my dad played drums so through middle school, did a drum corps, a local drum corps, played parades and, and stuff, not like DCI drum corps. But, um, so he had an old uh, Champagne Sparkle set, which I, uh, I sold when I was in high school. Oh. I don't want to talk about that, or I'll start crying. Oh, the um, look on your face. I didn't know. I sold it. I didn't know. Anyway, I, I honestly can't even talk about it. I'll get upset. Um, Jesus. Uh, he had a drum set, and I broke it when I was five, or actually my friend did. 
the bass drum. And then when I was nine, I took it down, set it up, and I would just play to Tom Petty's Wildflowers album. Nice pop sensibility right there, right? I didn't know it at the time, but <laughs> here we are. Yep. And um, yeah, so I just started doing that. And I took a drum lesson or two up here on this massive drum set. It was like, I, it's just ridiculous. This was like the 90s and everyone had a big Thomas set if they could. And yeah, it was just very silly. My first drum set was gigantic. Also, it was, um, let's see, how many toms were there? There were one, two, three, four, five, six toms. You have to. It was just red. One symbol. Just right, I, right in the middle. It's funny now, like, I've had drummers come in and, like, try to pretend that uh, they they learned my songs, like, that I wrote yeah. and played drums on. They'll come in, and I'll just stop, and I'll turn around, and I'll be like, you know that I know you don't know the form to the song, right? But this drummer I have now, he's legit, Spencer. You know, we talked before, and I was just like, man, everything you do, I'm going to know exactly what you're doing. If I have a problem with something you're doing, you and I are going to go off to the side and talk about it, like drummers, like musicians, and it's not going to be some singer being a dick to the drummer right. situation ever. Uh, the only thing you need to know is I hate crash cymbals. That's it. That's all I, That's what we did. Do you hate the overuse of them, or do you just hate crash cymbals? Um, I, I studied with Tommy Igo mm -hmm. for a while, and he, I hit a crash cymbal, and he said, stop, stop. That was some, whatever I was doing. He's like, why the fuck did you do that? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He's like, why'd you do that? I'm like, uh, he's like, you need to have a reason for hitting that crash symbol or I'm going to like throw you on the street or something. He said, like, oh, that's nice. Because like, people hit it on one, you know, yeah. it's just like so unnecessary. I've had the experience of maybe this is relatively recently where singers are often asking me to hit the symbol, like going into every verse every, or starting the song. And I'm always surprised because before that, this is a good example. Uh, Paul from the Blackheart Procession hates cymbals, hates them. And uh, well, they fuck with recordings for one thing, yeah, especially the right. bright ones. Yeah. And that I don't like. Yeah. But also like our our ears are so conditioned to hearing that, like if you start to notice it in rock songs, it's just really like upsetting. And that's why I, I John Bonham is great because he just brushes the cymbal slightly and he sounds huge. Yeah. But then um, like if you really want to get someone's attention to the song, like, Anytime I hit a crash symbol on Sissy, Margaret Thatcher Lowry's side, or my new record, and evening at Macri Park, it's because the producer specifically told me I needed to. Yeah. Because like on a song I have Serious Child on Sissy, like I'm never on the hi hat at all. Even hi hats I love, but yeah. But I'm I'm uh whatever else I'm doing, and but when we get to the bigger part, just like arriving at it and maybe going to the hi hat for a human listening is going to have more impact than crashing a cymbal yes. pretty much all the time. So, but without them knowing. Yeah. Also, I have a Dimitri Shostakovich tattoo on my arm. So anyone that wants to know about me and writing songs should know I have a Dimitri Shostakovich okay. tattoo on my arm and a gay cactus. A gay cactus. I, yep, a gay I cactus. can't tell if it's gay or not from here. It has a crop top. Oh, yeah, I can tell then. And a Bowie head. Oh, that's cute, actually. That's really cool. Thank you. Um, well, my producer has the same one, the same outline, but it's not gay. It's depressed. So it has oh. a different hat, and it has a, a no crop top. And instead of the guitar I have on mine, his is like a skull, like an old Western imagery. But what's anyway. uh, Is straight cactus 
nothing, just a cactus, or is it? Well, in, in this case, because we have the same, the actual same stencil of the actual cactus yeah. part of the tattoo. He's like, you should get this. And I'm like, well, I'm not getting it with a ball cap on and a skull, and a skull <laughs> but I will get uh, one with a David Bowie hat and a guitar. And I told the tattooer, who's our friend, that I, I wanted to be kind of a gay cactus. And he's like, uh, I, I don't know if this is inappropriate, but I, I put a crop top on it. Is that okay? Is that offensive? I was like, no, you nailed it. Um, and I, I'd want to make it clear I'm not vying for um, straight cactus representation. That's there, We've got plenty of that. Plenty. Uh, plenty Maybe too of much. it. Um, okay, so... You are a, what I would categorize, and please don't be offended, because um, I just can't think of a better word, a professional <laughs> drummer uh, in which you toured with Broadway shows, which I find fascinating. I would like to do that. I wonder if I could do that, but I would like to do it. How'd that, how'd that come into your life? So I, I uh, went from high school to college where I studied first at jazz drum set, but then actually switched, to my, switched my major to classical percussion. And I would practice like eight to 15 hours a day. Um, I burnt myself out pretty bad. In my senior year, I actually, re I reduced my major from a, a Bachelor of Music to a Bachelor of Arts. And then I started playing the musicals. And Florida State has a great musical theater program. Mm. So I played um, You're in Town. And then I played Sweeney Todd. And that's the year I came out to like my friends as gay. The first That was the year I was at first involved with a guy in any kind of intimate way. <laughs> But I played these musicals and then the music director of one of the touring companies that runs, you know, they probably have six shows going at a time, thought I was cute, never heard me play drums, but hired me to play the last official tour of the producers, the uh, Mel Brooks show. Oh, my God. That ended, that was about eight months, nine months. And then after that, I immediately started doing The Wedding Singer and it was in Harrah's in Atlantic City. And then I got fired after the first week by the guy that originally thought I was cute. <laughs> um, <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, wow. Because they said, well, I wouldn't sleep with the conductor, so he was he was actually lying about me. Mm. I've, I've come to find out since. That was in 2008. But um, they said, you're a great drummer, but you have a shitty attitude. You have to be gone in an hour out of the venue. Out of the, uh, yeah, I guess out of the venue. Out of, I couldn't be backstage and stuff. Jeez, that's, that's drastic. Well, I mean, that's just... Well, anytime, because you're no longer an employee, there's a lot of... Uh, liability, yeah. Yeah, liability. You could have tripped get out of the building. and hurt yourself, and you wouldn't be covered, and you could have sued them. Yeah. Then I started studying with Tommy Igo. He put, he was the one that wrote and played the Lion King drum set part for like 12 years. And uh, I got I auditioned for a cruise ship. I got it. I turned it down, mm -hmm. and then eventually I just stopped. But I um, <clears throat> in 2007, I saw... I never listened to rock music or pop music except for the like classic rock on the radio. And in 2007, I saw Counting Crows play in, in Connecticut here because my cousins brought me. And then I started kind of writing words and then songs and shitty poetry. And then it, that's what that's when I started writing songs, which I didn't realize was right at the tail end of me pursuing drums professionally. And the other, other time I've done drums professionally since then, besides on my own records, is in 2015, I um, did Deaf West Theater's pre-Broadway run of Spring Awakening in uh, L.A. Wow. So that um, that Count and Crow show was like your turning point to songwriting uh, or beyond just playing the drum kit. You know what it was? I learned how to play in bars. The first time I played a shuffle was at a blues bar, blues uh, jam in Sarasota, Florida. I was 14 years old. Shuffles are nasty. They're still nasty. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, that's a, that's a very old school way of learning how to play. So on Friday night, I'd play four or five hours a night with my friend, Chris, you know, we would set up at th four or whatever, go get McDonald's, come back. And the bouncer's like, you guys can't come in here. You don't even have like hair on your face or anything. But uh, then they figured out who we were and we would play five hours Friday, five hours on Saturday, all around Southwest Florida, Fort Myers, Sarasota, Tampa. And uh, the Hells Angels were a big fan of us at one point. And we would just play and play and play. And my hands would be just old school gigs, wow. you know, like really that's like great. playing. And that's in Florida. And if I had stayed in Connecticut, they wouldn't have allowed me in bars like that. Right. No way. Yeah. And I bet in Florida you can't do that now. But that was <clears throat> early um, 2000s. And mm -hmm. It's what I did. Wow. Yeah. And Counting Crows, yes. I saw them and started writing songs. And they started <laughs> writing some tunes. And um... but oh, what I wanted to say, I'm sorry, yeah. is um, I didn't know I could sing. I had never tried to sing. I never written a song. Never even thought about it. Couldn't play guitar. Nothing. Um, but one thing I had never seen growing up, Irish, Italian in uh, New England, is like male vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I had never seen someone sit on the end of the stage and look in people's eyes and really give them something. And then when I finally listened to the songs, like it's finally coming around for him, where people realize he is absolutely unique among his generation. It was a him and Kurt. And then you listen to all the. Uh, death cab or dashboard and they are directly coming from that mm -hmm. that lyrical earnestness and stuff uh anyway i saw that and it was really jarring to me and i, and I didn't meet him for another probably i don't know eight years or something whatever it was and uh and then i toured with them two years ago it's pretty fucking mind-blowing i gotta be honest yeah how did you how did you cross paths how did you initially meet so he was doing this thing uh, with this guy, Ryan Spaulding. His Ryan Smashing Life is a, is a blog that was pretty big in Boston for a while. But they met and put together this thing called Outlaw Roadshow. Uh, Ryan's no longer involved, and now uh, it's called Underwater Sunshine Festival. But basically, Adam was 30 when he got globally massively white hot famous. Mm -hmm. So his entire, like, think of when you were 30, you got your friends, you got your scene, maybe you keep your day job, you're playing, go see your friends' shows, you got whatever it is. And then the next day, people are sleeping on your lawn. Yeah. So that happened like that, and he was 30. So just imagine that. Then all of a sudden, he's in every tabloid and everything for a long time, like 15 years probably. So now he's not white, hot, famous anymore. And so he just gets bands he likes together for the outlaw roadshow originally and now underwater sunshine and they just like he'll it used to be a bowery electric but now it's rockwood music hall uh and they just play both stages and um they, people will play at his house during the day and have it recorded kind of like a tiny desk kind of vibe they'll play he goes to every show at least a few songs and then everyone goes and parties at his house after and so i met him there and his girlfriend and him have been together a while now and the place is much neater, but I was there and he had been there for 15 years in his apartment in quotes. And there were just boxes everywhere. And I was like, Hey man, you want me to show you around the place? It looks like you just got here. <laughs> and then, um, some, something came on the radio and he's like, man, this band's okay. But the lyrics, man, I just, I just don't know. And we're in a group of people and I don't know him. He doesn't know me really. And there's a couple and everyone's like, everyone gets weirder on Facebook. Sure. They're like, yeah. bodies are always turned towards them. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, these lyrics just aren't good. And without even hesitation, I said, this from the fucking na 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 guy. It's long December, it's not a na. And he just almost choked laughing and asked for my phone number. And, uh, you know, Brian Deck, uh, who actually worked with Modest Mouse. Uh, yeah. 
previous, um, he mixed one of my records, but he had been working with Counting Crows and stuff. And so it just became this thing. And um, I played my song Cutter Street for him and he and he came up and tapped me on the shoulder like two hours later and recited the like the the words to me, I think the chorus, mm -hmm. and said he liked it. And I was like, man, you're the reason I write songs at all. And he said, it's nice when it works out. And then he walked away. All right. Great. That's... <clears throat> and he also sings on this new record, and he co-wrote Be a Man. Um, and I want to say congratulations on this new record. It's it's a journey of stories, I'd say. And it's it seems to be an illustration of your life from a few different eras. It is also a celebration of protest, both songwriting and general notion of protest, and also a celebration of queer culture, maybe specifically nightlife. And it's all through this lens of this bar, which I, I don't know is real or fictional. I'm, I'll find out in a second, but I didn't want to look and find out. But uh, this bar is called Macri Park, and uh, the record is called An Evening at Macri Park. So anyways, again, congratulations. Um, let's start. I want to hear a, a lot about this, but first... Um, why did you conceptualize it this way? Why did you use this uh, this bar as a vehicle? So it's a character study of a bar, which inherently is a character study of the people in that bar. However, when it's a drag bar in the middle of Brooklyn, and it is very real, it is a divey. I don't know. It's straight out of a it's straight out of a Lou Reed record, except for it's my record, and I'm nicer to people than he was. But um, it's a real bar. It's in Macri Triangle in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It's on Union and uh, Metropolitan. And it's just a dark dive bar. So uh, drag queens are hilarious and fascinating as are queer artists generally, because most people, and it's definitely getting better, of my age or older came from places that were not accepting of queerness. So it's protest to exist as one of these people, first of all. Certainly a, a drag queen standing in the middle of a city, there's a certain level of fearlessness there. For my part, I'm the least vulnerable queer person that could be. Like, I could pass a straight. I'm white. Uh, you know, I had a supportive family. You know, I was not a broken home or what. You know, I whatever it is, I, I I'm good. Yeah. A lot of the people I met, you know, had to escape society or some situation or whatever. And a, a queer space should inherently be and has historically been a safe space, except for from cops and now uh, crazy people with guns. But it's a safe space from the outside. But what you do bring into a safe space is whatever's on the inside. And so a lot of it is that too. So any any queer person that walks into a, a queer space is going to have a great night. Maybe they're going to drink a bunch or maybe they're going to you know, do some drugs or maybe they're going to be dance or do some drag or whatever the hell. But they are still carrying what they have. Um, so there's a lot of sadness there's a lot of beautiful art there's a lot of laughing there's um a lot of late slash early nights and all these things and i would just sit there and watch all this going on and observe it and then coincidentally was cat sitting for mr adam duritz and it was <laughs> hung over on his piano he's one of his pianos is in the main room there and i wrote be a man and benjamin wish i smiled there hung over which i have the voice memos for and uh when i said uh, sit here for a while and I'll try not to think, sit here, darling, sit here, darling, come be a man with me. It's obviously tongue in cheek. And it's basically 
you know, be a man with me. It's like, well, what the fuck does that mean? And why would anyone think that they should define man, woman, or any other goddamn thing, sex for somebody else, you know? So it's inherently protest. And I believe that generally songwriters are dropping the ball on protesting. And I'm not interested in doing an impression of a singer songwriter. I, I'm going to do it for real. Right. And you do. It's, uh, thank you. It's compelling to say the least. Um, that's cool. Thank you. And, Along with protest, American folk music, they, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, speaking of Lou Reed, I'm not going to talk about Lou Reed. The first thing I thought about when I went through your record the first time was, this is John Cale's version of celebrating folk music. It's not simple, you know, in the end, uh, which I think he was kind of pushing some of the Velvet stuff away from. Um, and that's exactly... What I feel like you're doing. It's like that record, Paris 1919. I think that's true. I think, I, I, I don't know. There's a, it's a beautiful tradition of songwriting and storytelling. And I'm in a place uh, where I can not laugh at myself as a, as a cis white queer person. I can laugh at others and I can elevate others. And it's the bigger my platform gets, the more I'm going to say stuff. But also like, I can't, I, I don't listen to music passively. I'm certainly not going to write it passively. I don't know. That's just my personality. I think, I think you're right about that. And Lou Reed is great, but I call him out on this album because he was a fucking asshole too. So I, you call him out. I, I want to talk about your, uh, your vocal delivery and lyrics, etc. But first let's hear a tune. Let's, uh, I want to play sleeping with strangers. Is that cool? Do it. All right, here we go. I'm moving into the bathroom because my dad's about to be home and the dog's in the bar. Okay. Good time for me to play this. Go find a man covered in blood, a man who needs some change. Come and ask me when it's nice and I'm feeling good. High on cocaine, mistaken for pain. Well, I just need some kind of documentary. I hear there's a good one out on a man in 13. Got nothing to give, but I got something to kill. I'm wide and free and I've long had my fill Till nine. 
that bitch gave me a scar. Let's pick up some beers. Let's take a drive out west. I got some friends out there, plus goddamn I could use a rest. And mama heard, and the snow came down. It broke the wood stove, so Laura walked out into the clouds. This isn't a cave. screaming on that song did someone get hurt no that's um that's my producer dave that's his kid frankie oh i don't know he's part of the process basically the process <laughs> we have involves the family is there because i make these records at dave's house in his studio in the basement it's a full studio but his family's upstairs sure yeah where's that studio it's in uh Macedon, new york mm. right outside of um rochester i love rochester it's romantic that's where i'm opening this tour i'm about to do and it's cool because i go up there and his um the studio is like a um it's right by the erie canal it's an old building that was there and uh it was a bar and a tavern and a bed and breakfast and shit when they were building the erie canal and now my friend owns it his house and the, oh, the top floor is like where his family lives and the basement is a full full studio and so i go up there all the time and chill with him and his family and you know he plays bass on this too and it's like basically my music director with anything live but um I make all these records there in Macedon. Cool. And that's where the first show is actually on this tour, Radio Social. Yeah. I mean, this whole record sounds so great. And there's a couple things I want to talk about, but simply that they sound great. I, I was in headphones a lot for my first couple experiences with it. Um, that's great. <laughs> um, well, I guess first, how many of the instruments do you play? 
All of them? None of them? I play all the drums on all of my records so far. Okay. Um, I play all of the rhythm guitar, probably without, with some exceptions, maybe when Dave thought of something he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But I have a very specific way I play acoustic guitar. So when I'm going like, I'm never going bum, jump, bum, bum, jump, bum, you know, with my chugging along, it's usually jump, 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 you know, drumming. It's I'm drumming the yeah. whole time, basically. And so that's kind of part of it. But we also do this so quickly, like I'll go up there, maybe it's 9 p.m. when I get there. And he has to go to bed early because he's got young kids that wake up fucking crack of dawn, obviously. And um, I'll play him like a voice memo. He'll be like, uh, that part, that's the verse. That's a, I think that's the chorus. You don't need this melody. That's a bridge. All right, good night. And I'll just write the lyrics that night. We'll wake up. We'll do, maybe we'll do a scratch uh, guitar or a real guitar, depend. Well, if we know the form, uh, or I'll even do the drums to memory sometimes because I know the song already. He's usually in the studio, his like mixing room or um, where the board is, with a bass. He's playing bass on it, and uh, and by the end of any given day, we've done at least one song, probably to the vocal, too. And I've written the lyrics literally right before I sing them. I always have to go learn my songs like when I have to go perform them, actually. Yeah. So I write the lyrics like that. And then we get our friend uh, Kip to come in. He's an incredible musician, but keyboard. He's basically the lead voice on my records generally. And he comes in and then we have a, a record, you know, sparse. And on this one, there's a ton of, I was listening to a lot of Warren Zevon at the time. Mm -hmm. And there's just a ton of guest musicians on this, like, if you're listening to Warren Zevon, Werewolves of London, it sounds like a Fleetwood Mac song because it's John McVie and fucking Mick Fleetwood playing drums and, and bass guitar. And it's just, a dum, 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 you know, and you just listen to that. It's so cool. Or maybe Stevie Nicks is singing that song or Don Henley, and they're not even credited or something. Sure. And I love that. Yeah. And so that's how it goes. It will just send it out to people and then it just kind of gets built. Okay. All the songs are really lush. I mean, I know there's lots of instrumentation and strings and stuff, but it, I can tell that like when you say that there were bones of the song, I can tell that it was kind of like set up to you had the bones and then you left holes, I guess is the best way to put it. Whether you use yes. them or not, I don't know. I wasn't there, but that's what it feels like to me. And um, what I really want to talk about is your words and your vocals. And this doesn't always happen and it's uh, not everyone can do it. And it's also not necessary for a song, but your words and vocals are equally as compelling. Your words are great. Your delivery is on top, and it's not a mixed thing. They're just on top, and they're they really hit me. And um, it's you know it has it has a little bit to do with the production, but do you feel that? Do you do? Was there an intention to put yourself out there, or is it just your passion? You know, people talk about Bob Dylan all the time because he's reigned supreme as a songwriter. And you, anyone who says, I don't like Bob Dylan, I'm like, which of the 10? And I mean, yeah. they are distinctly different sure. artists. Like him or not, I don't really care, but they are distinct. What I got from him is he's not fucking around. He's completely lying the whole time. Lying. He's a liar on interviews and in his music. And he's dead serious. Like, And that's a folk tradition, too. Like, you make up stories and stuff. But uh, it wasn't like his lyrics, like I try to write lyrics like him, or um, but his rhythm, he'll pull things back and he's pull, he makes you listen. My favorite singer though is Janis Joplin, and she's not kidding at all. Joe Cocker is my other favorite singer, not kidding at all. The closest I think to what I do rhythmically, the closest person I can think of is Patti Smith. She spits sure. the words. I was a drummer and I've never been scared to do that. I knew that unless I really like was a hundred percent at 
I, I'm, I'm not like an opera singer or something, but I, I have no interest in, in kidding at all when I'm doing any of this. It, it's not intentional. What is intentional is absolutely getting as close to my point of view and my honesty as I can. I'm not thinking at all about anybody else or anything else. Me and Dave sit there and he will maybe pull back on some of my rhythms when I'm getting in my own way so you can understand my words. Uh Uh, Or he'll pull back on the way that I'm saying something or make sure I'm not kind of overusing the louder, more jarring parts parts of my voice. But really, we just create a space for me to get really... Uh, like I'm actually like short of breath talking about it. I don't know if you can tell. Uh, to get really, um, I heard Dave Alvin say he's a method songwriter. Okay. Like method acting, yeah. right? A lot of these I'm emotional through, or I'll stop and rewrite while he waits. If I'm singing all these lyrics, I probably wrote them between 30 seconds before I sing them, and maybe maybe 12 hours. Okay. All of them, the, all the lyrics, and so they're really raw for me. Or like I'm thinking of an example on my my LP pictures of an exhibitionist at the end funny stories is a song funny stories I sing it and I know that right after that take I sat on the floor and cried for 15 minutes by myself and I don't listen to that song if I ever listen back to that record I don't listen to that song it's very upsetting to me and the, the actually it's pretty bad singing and there's a lot of ticks and things I really can't stand but it's so raw and then going to Margaret Thatcher Lurie's side at the end, the song I have, uh, It Ain't a Weekend, I had that. And then Dave's like, let's just do this outro jam thing. It just goes on and on and on and on. And then it modulates up a whole step. And he's like, then you're going to do something cool here. I just know it. It's a repeated line. It ain't a weekend for me. It ain't a weekend for me. Over and over. And it mm-hmm. modulates. And it's just this cool jam. And we just left this space open. And Dave Immergluck from Counting Crows is just soloing in the background. <laughs> I do a little drum solo. And I decide that it's important, and I'm in his studio next to the mixing board where he is. I'm pacing back and forth, and I'm crying, and he's just there, like looking at his computer, and I'm writing the words that I'm going to say. And uh, then I go out into the uh, studio, and I'm really like upset, and I just bark, like circus barkers would like bark. Um, Twenty five cents, come see the whatever sure. double headed twins or something. And it's still emotional when I sing it. So thank you everyone for coming out tonight. I hope you had a fabulous time. And have adjusted your tastes appropriately. I always say you have to be a steely bitch to make survive in this goddamn city. So to all the boys and to all the girls out there, keep painting your nails, keep dancing, and keep and keep fucking screaming. We have to go now, but remember, always wear purple to the party. I love you. Good night. And that was uh, I just wrote it, and then I went in and did it once, and uh, it's very emotional to me and. Uh, all I could think about is the, um, there's kids and I, I met them on the tour of Cunning Crows that are afraid to paint their nails or go out and they should be afraid, but they should also know that it's worth it. The cost could be great, but it's worth it. It's always worth it. Don't be stupid, obviously. Like, and that stuff is, that's how I do it. I'm not thinking about anything else. So being on top of it or anything like that's what, that's where I'm at. And if I'm not there, I almost always cut the song or do the vocals again. <clears throat> Sorry, I talked <laughs> to say the least. You you give it your all. Obviously, I don't think you can help it though. No, I can't. Um, I, I we don't have to talk about this forever because we'll get into drum uh, nerdum. But um, 
the mix on your drums, I feel like as a drummer, when I listen to this record, I can hear all the little things you do. And those are important, I think. And this makes me so happy because <laughs> nobody ever wants to talk about the drums, even though that's as much what I do. I've spent more time playing drums than I have any other day yeah. in my fucking life. And nobody's ever thinking to ask me about it. Well, you, anyway. yeah, you can tell. And I think, I think what happens with if drum drummers do cool things or bombastic things or, uh, you know, neat things, they're either buried or they're celebrated too much. And I think that all the drum parts on this record are set perfectly in the mix. They're dry enough where they need to be. So they poke out, etc. And I got to ask, I feel like that's your ear versus the mix. There's a couple things. Um, <clears throat> the drums are almost not mixed at all. That's your ear. So, well, it's Dave's ear setting it up. Yeah. So there's a couple things. It's not an accident that it sounds like that. He knows exactly what's going on in that room. He knows how I play, first of all. And he just gets it dialed in. So I, you know, I, like we talked about, I've been a professional drummer. I've been playing drums for 30 years. But if you're not doing it every day, you lose. It takes a second. You got to get the physicality back, your muscles and shit. And so I got my hands together before I went. So I was back up to like speed and my feel came back and all the lightness that I learned how to play with Tommy Igo, especially learned how to play with and just who I was on drums actually comes out on this record. Like my personality is on it and they are almost exclusively full takes of these sections. And the way it sounds is him dialing it in, but like we didn't go back and like mix it really. He didn't really, he mixes the drums less than everything else when he's mixing the record pretty much mm -hmm. from what I understand. He's already got it dialed in. So it is both, it is feel, if you listen to Benjamin Wishaw's Smile, that's a 90s trap beat basically. Sure, and I didn't yeah. even realize it till I was at the, uh, african-american music museum in nashville recently uh -huh. and i heard they just you could listen to different eras and i just heard chum, 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 and i'm like fuck i'm ripping <laughs> off black people again but um it was on purpose i'm generally mixing the way i play i'm mixing bass drum versus cymbals in real time i'm thinking about that okay and you know rock music generally is, is built from bass drum up to cymbals or as jazz might be cymbals down to bass drum and so the volumes I'm playing with are very on purpose mm -hmm. where I'm hitting the drum is around purpose. I was using Stanton Moore sticks on this, which are a little softer. I think they're like maple or something. I don't even remember. Same set of drumsticks for the whole thing. Yeah. The same drumstick in my hand for the whole thing. Like, you know, when you pick up sticks, they're exactly the same. They're definitely, yeah. if you flip them, you would immediately be uncomfortable. So yeah, all right. that's all on purpose. Yeah. And are you going to tour this record? Yes. Um, Full band? In this case, May 11th, I play Rochester. Mm -hmm. May 12th, Baby's All Right in, in Brooklyn. Uh, May 13th, I'm playing Philly at Ortlieb's. May 15th, DC9 in Washington, DC. Those four shows will be with the full band that I took on the Counting Crows tour. Oh, okay. Then I, then I go to Europe for three weeks. It'll just be me and my guitar, and I'm going with my friend Craig, and he's going to play, and I'm going to play separately. And then uh, come back, and I'm going to try and hit most of the markets I did with Counting Crows. I'm going to go alone just in my car. Okay. So I'm going to tour the fuck out of it is what I'm going to do. All right. I'll come to the Portland or Seattle show. I want to see, I want to see the band. I also want to see you. I want to see this acoustic. So I'll find you. I'm going to be on tour this summer. So I'll look around for you again. Congrats on this record. Um, an evening at 
Macri Park out on Kill Rock Stars on May 12th. One last thing, and before I let you go, I'm just going to encourage people to watch the Sleeping With Strangers video. I love it. I, it's a collage of sorts from different eras of your life. It's Macri Park, a lot of it. That is yeah. the bar, the actual bar. Well, if you want to learn about Macri Park. Yes. My favorite part is me dancing wearing the same jacket that Adam wore in the Mr. Jones video. Oh, really? And I, if you look at it again, I put that video up from 1994 or whatever next to me wearing the same jacket in his house dancing and making fun of him <laughs> for like a second. And then Cindy Lauper makes a small cameo in it, but uh, you'll have to check it out. It's only the back of her head. The very, very, very last thing is you get to see um, an evolution of your style throughout the video. We get to see some hair on the face. We get to see some hair not on the face. We get to see some hair on the head. A couple different uh, outfits. Not a couple, quite a few different outfits. It could be a book. It, maybe it will be one day. But I knew that I was doing that County Crows tour, 22 dates, and I knew there was going to be hundreds of pictures taken of me every single one of those dates by different people. And so I wore 22 different fucking things because I now have 22 sets of photos, me live and it's the only smart planning thing I've ever done in my life. Holy smokes. I'm going to do that. I'm just starting the shop for my next tour, which is five weeks long, though. But I, I don't need 20. Well, maybe I get 22 outfits. I did two months and it was whatever. But my uh, dad's friend just, just 20 minutes for a on this with you brought me a bag of new clothes for me because it's basically all women's like clothes that are longer. Yeah. It's generally what I'm wearing. So I, had, I just got my whole wardrobe for the next tour. Just She just brought it. I didn't even know. That's killer. All right, man. Well, travel safe when you start traveling. And I hope to run into you somewhere, maybe on the East Coast. I'm going to look it up. I'll try to bother you to come to the show. Okay. All right. Take care of yourself. All right, Joe. And uh, I hope to see you out there. All right. I'll see you soon. Bye. Looked away and I said, Nice to see.